0: everybody welcome to the afterword you know former U.S. President Teddy Roosevelt once famously said comparison is the thief of joy and the author Mark Twain went a step further saying the comparison is the death of joy so he went from the thief to death it's a little dark Mark but point taken the idea is that We lose contentment when we compare our lives. And in my own experience, I found that I never compare my life downward to people who have significantly less than I do. I only compare my life upward to people who have more than I do. Oh, man, their yacht has a helipad. My yacht doesn't have a helipad. But that's the whole point. Comparison often uh, makes us feel bad about our lives. So we're going to talk about that. We are in the fourth and final week of a sermon series called Work Hard, Rest Easy, where we've talked about work and how it can become a weird idol. We've talked about Sabbath and how important it is to Sabbath in order to regain not only a proper perspective, but to put everything in life in its proper place. We talked last week about money. That was a tough convo because money can become a a key idol. And this week, we're going to talk about contentment. What does it mean to be content? I've got Steve Clifford here, and we're going to delve into all the different ways that humans and that you and I can actually become discontent with our life and, more importantly, the way out of it. So Steve Clifford is here. We're going to talk about that. And uh, we're going to try to become people who are far more thoughtful and far more content and that we don't compare. We don't compare. We just enjoy what God's given us. Anyway, with that, let's just dive right in. All right, well, first of all, here with Steve Clifford. Steve, so glad you're with us. Thank
1: you. Good to be
0: with you. All right, so um, this past week we talked, well, it's kind of interesting. There's a couple edges, and I wanted to delve into them because I wanted to steal a little bit of your wisdom on this, mostly because you've been through the ups and downs of content and discontentment kind of over your career, but also you've got a vantage point, kind of as an elder statesman, uh, who has... (laughs) you just have a lot of experience on this. And I wanted your, your thoughts on this. So we're talking about discontentment. In the sermon, we really did focus on kind of discontentment. And we kind of focused a lot on greed and coveting, you know, that idea of more and mine. Uh-huh. But I wanted to also talk about other aspects of discontent that kind of surface in people's lives. So let me just throw out some ideas here first. Let's, um, let's just talk about discontentment in general. Um, And and as I thought about it, uh, discontentment obviously can be with material possessions, what I have, what zip code I live in, that kind of stuff. But there's other edges of discontentment that I think do pop out. Sometimes people are discontented with like who they are or their gift sets or how they're made. Uh, I have a teenage girl, obviously, and it's so fascinating because she has wavy hair, curly hair. And you know what she always said almost every day? She's like, I wish I had... Straight hair, straight hair, and all her friends who have straight hair, they look at her and every single one of them says, "Oh my gosh, I wish I had curly hair." Right? So there's this crazy thing that we're we're often discontented with who we are, mm-hmm. uh, and then there's another edge to this too, which ties to money, but is different. We live in an, an area filled with strivers, filled with people who are highly amped, who get up and go after it. They're highly motivated. They're often very intelligent great problem solvers. And sometimes there can be a deep discontent with uh, your job or your success or your perceived success or your scope of influence or how things are going. And so there's that aspect too. And so when you think about discontent, uh, I imagine in your pastoral ministry, you've had lots of people come Uh, with some sort of discontent, maybe it's relationships or some aspect of of these things. But those are the big three I saw about yourself, how you're made, about your job success or scope of influence, and then about what you have. Now, we focused really hardcore uh, in the message about what we have as kind of a coveting greed thing. But how do you think about discontent with your job or success or your scope of influence? Because it seems like God has made these people to hustle, right? Uh, You hustle you have discontent when things are wrong or broken. That's how God made you, uh, Dana too. Dana as more of a perfectionist. You and I both married perfectionists, which is yeah. real fun. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the, they they kind of tend to see if something's going on, if if it's ten percent broken, they will they will literally ignore the ninety percent and only focus on the ten percent because they're improvers. Sure. They want to make it better. How do you how do you think about discontent with? Your job success or scope of influence—is there a healthy way to think about that, and is there an unhealthy way to think about that, just in terms of discontent?
1: Yeah, I, I think that the first the first uh, recognition is is that we are constantly being told by our culture that we are not enough. Yeah, and we're and we're not enough in every way. We're not <laughs> tall enough. We're not smart enough we're not our hair is not straight or curly enough we're not thin enough we're not curvy enough we're not we're just not enough and that message is being pounded into us
0: do you feel like that's changed since you were 20.
1: well i think that our exposure to the message has changed i think the the message of advertising has always been the same
0: yeah that's true yeah, yeah, right. That's true.
1: But we see a lot more advertising now than we ever have. And the, there's a sinister aspect to the to the advertising. If I get on if I get on Google and I search in Amazon for a pair of tennis shoes, the next time I open up my browser anywhere, what shows up? Yeah. Sales sales for tennis shoes. Yeah. They track where I go, you know, it, you know, so it's, it's, it's much more sinister. So I think it's, you ever had it's,
0: that situation where you say a word out loud, like, yeah, I, I, my friend went camping and then you open up your, your phone and all of a sudden there's like ads for tents.
1: No, but uh, that would be, spooky.
0: yeah, it's a little spooky. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked.
0: Um, since Siri
1: engaged anytime I say her name, <laughs> phone now, uh, you know, so but but my point is is that you are just constantly from the day you draw breath, you're going to start hearing this message. You're not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. Yeah. And um, there's a wonderful passage in First Corinthians 15 where where Paul says this amazing statement, and he says, "By the grace of God, I am who I am, and that grace is not without effect." And I'm just like. I want to live there. You know, I want to live in thankfulness for who I am. Would I like to be taller? Yes. Would I like to have more hair? Yes. Um, Would I like to not be seeing the effects of age on my body at quite the pace that they seem to be hitting into me? Yeah, I'd like all of those things. And I'd like to change those things. But could I? can I settle into who I am and recognize it as a gift? Yeah. And then, and then... There's a there's another side to this that that is really so we not only are in a system which con- constantly pounding us with we are not enough we are also we learn at a very early age to compare ourselves yeah and we compare both up and down just depending on the day um, and and it, you can always find somebody who's got more achieved more smarter more talented more gifted. I mean, I still remember the first time I heard a, a pastor in Southern California, Erwin McManus, the first time I heard him preach, I came out of there going, I will never preach again. This guy is the <laughs> most- Because his raw skill. Because he was so good. Yeah, yeah. I, if that's preaching, I, I can't do it. I just came out of it just going, oh my gosh. Yeah. And and that's a that, those are just a trap from the enemy. Sure. Um, well, compare, you also comparing you've comparing up to, or down is never going to. One way you get yeah. you get too focused, but they're, you're both focused on yourself.
0: But you also you also said that growing up, uh, you you were good friends with Chip Ingram, and he's a phenomenal teacher preacher. Yeah, and so you said that you often felt like you lived in his shadow, and you were trying to be like Chip Ingram 2.0 until you realized I can never be Chip Ingram 2.0. So, right. y- y- when did that process? That was uh, pretty early in your ministry life. That's as pretty well. early,
1: on, I became a pastor in 1987, and for the first eight years, I hated preaching.
0: Huh? I hated every time I just did because it. of the comparison
1: to Chip. Just because I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was trying to be like Chip and not allowing myself to be me. And on Father's Day of 1995, I still remember the message, on Father's Day of 1995, I stood up and gave a message that was from my voice. It was mine. It was, it's, and I I loved it. I loved uh, delivering it. I loved the preparation of it. It it was just like a different animal. Suddenly I'd done, done this thing for eight years that I just couldn't stand. And then suddenly I was doing something. I was like, this doesn't even feel like the same, you know, the same practice,
0: same, practice. <laughs> same job. Yeah.
1: And it was because I had spent and and here's the deal. Trying to be somebody else is like riding with your off hand. Ah, uh. you're you. Can you do it? Yes, you can do it. Put a cast on your good hand and you're a good hand. But you are your your dominant hand. hand yeah you you i can write my name with my left hand it takes me longer it's 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 not as effective i don't enjoy it it's i have to think about all, all the kinds of things that i don't usually think about it robs me of the kind of joy that i think jesus wants us to have in our life and you just forget preaching, just imagine it in any way. There, I think a lot of us are walking around trying to be somebody we're not.
0: So how did you get free from that? I mean, was it, was it, oh, so you had that moment on Father's Day 1995. Did you have a mentor or a friend or was it something God did or said that said, listen, it's okay not to be Chip. It's okay not to be somebody, somebody that, co- what was that process? How did you get this kind of emotional and, and spiritual health infused in you. I know it takes some time. You said it took like eight years, but like, what? Yeah. What?
1: That's a long time. I well, mean, yeah,
0: I get it. But so what, what was it that pushed you over the edge? So if somebody's out there and they're thinking, I also feel like I'm trying to walk in somebody else's shoes or, um, I'm in i uh, I'm trying to be something I'm not, or I'm not quite sure of myself yet. What would you, how, how did you, what was your process for getting free from that?
1: Yeah. I think that there was the, pro- the probably the process of becoming more mature, and not doing the comparison game so much, but it was also I was in an environment of a community of people who knew and loved me.
0: So they, they could kind of I call it out. And, they could kind of call it out. And they
1: just gave me the positive reinforcement of, wow, that was, that was the, a different Steve than we've heard in the past.
0: They almost and, like called out that moment that you oh, also yeah, recognized. It was,
1: and it was um, – it was multiple people got it and it was also this this sense which is probably partly maturity when i finally i began to embrace a little bit by the grace of god i am who i am i mean i am not i am not the expositional teacher that chip is sure i am not the storyteller that erwin mcmanus is i'm not the i'm not the gifted teacher that jay kim is Thankfully, I didn't quit. You know, lots of people, lots of folks settle into patterns. Eight years is a long time, and I thankfully didn't quit. There's people listening to this who are who have just believed the lie that they're not enough.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. And what you're essentially saying, what you're essentially saying, is culture. I believe you. God, I don't believe you.
0: Right. It's because interesting. The scriptures yeah. scream. Yeah, that
1: God was very intentional about how he's made us.
0: Uh, There's a guy named Dan Warrender who wrote an article called how the uh, use of social media and social comparison affects mental health. And he said this, he said, to be human is to have an inferiority complex. But in the age of social media, this is potentially heightened and amplified. Social Mm -hmm. comparison in the real world usually involves the self and a couple others while the digital universe of social media presents almost limitless potential for people to compare themselves against others. And that's kind of what you're talking about. And this is kind of a new thing.
1: Yeah, and what, I, what I'm telling you is, is you're comparing yourself against a lie. Here's the deal. You trace, you trace my social media posts over the last three years and look at all the places I've been and all the pictures of me smiling with my family.
0: I'm just not that happy. Uh, You're saying it's like your highlight reel.
1: Yeah, it's I ain't sharing with you (laughs) all the bad
0: stuff. Yeah, the fight, the fight that you got in with your friend or your spouse.
1: I am not that happy. I'm not that healthy. I'm not that. I'm not that well off. It's a
0: carefully curated lie, I suppose. Our best selves, or you compare your 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 average ordinary life with somebody else's highlight reel. Exactly, and that's just not that's not what it is not fair. Okay, so let's talk about the next thing. There are people that come to you who they're in the right spot. It's not like they're discontented because they don't have wavy hair and they wish they had straight hair. They're in the right spot, but man, it's just not going. It's not going as well as they wished. How do you know when there's a healthy push in that and how do you know when there's something not quite right? Uh, the reason I ask is because there was a, a definition for contentment given in a, a Bible dictionary. I wanted to read it to you because I thought it was really, I thought it was like really beautiful. It was mm-hmm. by uh, the uh, a guy who wrote the, the 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 post is J C Connell. He's a theologian, and it was in a new Bible dictionary by IVP. I just was looking up contentment, like you know, just what do theologians yeah. say about it? And this is what he said. I love this. Contentment, being content, is not Passive acceptance of the status quo. It is not que sera, sera, It is the positive assurance that God has supplied one's needs and the consequent release from unnecessary desire. Mm. So w- the reason I ask this is because sometimes just the deep need to be successful, it might be an unnecessary desire. It might be an idol or a false promise or a false god. Other times it might just be um, uh, somebody's drive and they're just they they just need to be reminded that sometimes not everything works out. How how do you pastor folks? How do you know when it's unnecessary desire? Cuz there's a lot of people in the Bay Area who work really hard probably because they desperately want to be special and they want to be successful. And that could be an unnecessary desire. Or a false god that promises something. So, how do you tease that out with people? Because it's not like you would say to me, "Hey, Dave, you know, don't work hard." Of course, you'd say that. But then there might be something in me that you'd say, "Dave, I think you might actually have a weird relationship with work." You know what I mean? So, how sure. how do you how do you parse that out with people?
1: Yeah, it's it's difficult to do it when it's not individually. Yeah, I see. You know because. You you could like just for example you could say um, I could say to you David you know we're commanded in the scriptures to you know to do to work is unto the Lord and and um, you know maybe you need to work a little harder uh, but it would it would be in the context of what's the season because there's times when you shouldn't work hard at all because you need to give the attention to your family or you need to give the attention to something else and you need to you need to take away your energies from work. Um and so it, it's difficult, it, it's difficult really to do that. I th- I think that the scriptures though are constantly letting us know that there is a God in heaven who is who is individually active in our goings and comings of our life, and that his desire for us is not happiness. Okay. It's not um, necessarily that you'll be rich. It's not necessarily that you'll own a home. His, his desires for you have much more to do with character development and, and the acting out of that character as it develops it, on behalf of those around you. Um, you know, it, it, that you would be filled with a peace that comes from an assurance of the good things that God will have in store for you. Um, and that piece that, you know, passes over the understanding of whether I measure up on Facebook or whether I get the promotion or whether I, you know, sometimes the most godly thing is to turn down the promotion, not to move ahead, Hmm. but instead to stay where you are, because you know, that you just committed to coach your, your son's little league team or your daughter's soccer team. And, and, and to take this promotion would would rob you of that. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just, you know, to be a person where you keep your word even to your own hurt, um, to be a person who who honors the things that are most important to you. I mean, those those are the things that God is at work at, and, and, and it's in those things that contentment will rise. Remember, Paul tells us in Philippians 4, we can learn contentment.
0: Yeah, that was a cool insight you had, that we, we can, can actually get better and learn it so let's talk about phase of life for a second, because you and I both um, encountered a book um, called From Strength to Strength, Finding Success, Happiness and Deep Purpose in the Second Half of Life. It's by a, guy, a Harvard researcher and professor and uh, a columnist named Arthur Brooks. And yeah. one of the things he says, and, and, and when I was reading his book, uh, Steve, I was thinking about you. You have said his ideas for a long time, but he just got a whole lot of credit and he backed it up with some research. Hey, he's a whole lot smarter than me, and
1: it makes more <laughs> but, sense.
0: But okay. you've, said, you've said this. You've said that there's, like, seasons to people's lives. Uh, there's the first season, the second season, and third season. And just as you talked about it, you would say this with young staff just to let them know. Yeah, you know, Like, the first season of life, you're, you're kind of figuring it out. The second season, you work like you just work really hard. And then you said the third season, you kind of move into, like, a sage – Kind of role you, you want to talk about that? We'll we'll talk about what Brooks says um, in in his book, but this is something that you've lived through. Um, so how how would you? And I think that that can also help people with discontent because if you're you're moving in between stages, you're it's like a tree. Um, you're going to need to grow into the next season. Uh, do you remember what you said? Those <laughs> seasons are. Do you have do you have those? Yeah, uh-
1: there's there's. Um, let's see if we can figure them out. I, I, I think there's three primary. Transitions.
0: Transitions. You know, yeah,
1: you, you essentially transition from uh, from entitlement to responsibility, and that's the first one. Is that if, at first you you know it's all about you. you, you I I know people that are no, you, it's like
0: a high schooler. You know, that's like oh, you know, everything's about me. Everything's about, about me. You. I mean, yeah. it's not that
1: you're not capable of doing godly things. It's just, um, you know, it's it's kind of centered around you and um and at some point you start to stop blaming everybody else when things go wrong and you start taking responsibility for your life and it's in that time when you start to make decisions to really make get after a career and to work your your butt off to to achieve in that career and to and you, most careers follow the same kinds of pattern you do the crummy job that nobody wants and you do it well enough to get promoted and you continue to to do those jobs until you find yourself then with some responsibility where you're overseeing those people who are doing the crummy jobs and you just continue. Right. It's just, it's there. Most careers kind of follow that way, even pastoral um, careers. And so then after that, once you've reached into responsibility, at some point um, you begin to realize that you go from responsibility um, to giftedness. Is that you begin to understand how you've made and you make choices to limit the, the the responsibilities that you'll take on that are outside of your giftedness of how God has made you and how you're most effective. So you that, start kind of
0: experimenting in the workhorse of work, where I'm good, where I've seen success, uh, what I love to do, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And as you see that unfold, you start to say, as you can, sometimes you can't as you can, you start to say yes and yet more and more to uh, the the areas that you enjoy and your giftedness um, and your effectiveness. And um, as you do that, of course, you're still responsible, but you, you're moving in this gifted um, uh, component. And of course, you'll always, every once in a while, you'll get entitled. <laughs> um, it's, you know, and you have to, you know, work and confess your way through those things. But then at some point, then you after you've worked in that area for a while, then you kind of go from this giftedness into a wisdom or um, or sage, if you use Brooks's um, terminology, where he goes, he says you go from fluid brain activity to crystallized um, activity, where you draw from your experiences, you recognize patterns, you're problem solver, you can help coach people through uh, some of the things that you've already gone through. And uh, it's not just that you're them. good
0: at doing the thing. You're good at recognizing the patterns of the thing. It's like those former NBA players that are gifted on the floor. They become great coaches. Some of them become great coaches because they can see, oh, this is how the game actually works.
1: Yeah, they understand kind of how it goes. And, and, and you find yourself actually losing the energy to do it as well as you used to could do it. But you can coach others to do it even better than you did.
0: And be perhaps more effective because you that's, can coach that's what wisdom more people. Is. Wisdom yeah. is knowing
1: the right thing to do and, and and doing it in the right time.
0: So there's a sense in which somebody could be frustrated or discontent because they're moving from they're – they're no longer a player. They're moving into the coach role, right? Like if Steve right. Kerr – Tried to be a player, he'd be exhausted all the time. He doesn't have the right, he, he, the energy I'm not, I'm for that. Sure, he can shoot free throws and things like oh, that. I'm sure now, but he couldn't play. He couldn't right. play a quarter. Right. Exactly. And in in an NBA game. Now, have you seen that also as as people get older and transition? Like uh, that, the, there's the, the, they need to understand they're moving from the, the kind of. Problem solving worker, get it done, high energy, day in, day out, solve the problem, get the tasks to wait a second, what are the patterns and strategies? Yeah, and it's
1: I think it's super important because what happens is you find yourself trying to stay in that effective range, but you simply don't have the energy and your body just can't, you know. I I can remember where I could I could work I could work several weeks in a row and never get a day off. Now, if I work one day, 12 hours, I need two <laughs> days off afterwards. I mean, I'm just, a, you know, and, and I, I don't like admitting that. Um, but I'll tell you what. And so, what happens is so, if you try to, if you don't allow yourself to move ahead, you try to stay young. So, you, you dress young and you try to look like everybody else. The last thing they, last thing Westgate needs is bald 66 year old Steve Clifford showing up in skinny jeans and earrings i mean it's not it's not only not me it's it's a little bit ridiculous now there's nothing wrong with skinny jeans if you're in your 20s and 30s i mean and you, you can get an earring whatever i mean but but for me it would be it would just be stepping so far outside of yeah of where i you know who i am and how i've moved that for me to try to enter back into the youth age i don't want to be 20 again
0: yeah so and and it does feel the other thing that you um that I want to talk about that that Brooks says, and you you've said this too. You have uh, you've modeled it again. You, he basically stole your ideas. And used his Harvard research and writing skills to make a best-selling book. So sorry, Steve. Uh,
1: <laughs> it is a great book. I highly recommend it. So Especially one of the, if you're forty or years old or older.
0: Yeah, it's really really good. One of the other things he said, and this was just a he, it was a throwaway line in a podcast that um, our executive pastor Andy Stanley, or sorry, our executive pastor Andy Gridley shared with us. It was a podcast from Andy Stanley where he uh, um, interviewed Arthur Brooks, but he said this one line. And it made me think of you and and your wisdom. He said, here's the secret to contentment. He's like, it's a simple equation. What you have divided by what you want. What you want. So the idea, and I, man, I thought about this for two weeks. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, this is such a good idea. Uh, What you have. So the things that you have divided by what you want. And he said, so what people tend to do is let's say you want a thousand things but you feel like you only have 100, you're only one-tenth as happy as you want to be. So what you try to do is you try to take the top part of that equation and get more, get more, get more, achieve more, right. more, more, more. And this is where money and greed and coveting kind of comes in because we think in order to really be whole, we have to balance this equation by the top part of right. of the uh, of the equation. But he says that actually that's actually the inefficient way to do it the better way to do that is to honestly do some assessment about what you want. Yeah, and, and he reduce, says, yeah,
1: reduce the denominator.
0: Yeah, reduce the denominator and and you've talked about this a lot. You say you've said as you've gotten older, things fall away that used to be important. This is the 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 wisdom of age. Things fall away. And then you also model this because you got in the front of your journal a couple of things that are real important to you. That you write yeah. in your journal all the time. I think is it six? Is it ten? What's the list?
1: Uh there's four things.
0: Oh, it's just four. Really
1: oh four things that I really want.
0: Do you and, have it? Do you have it there? Can you share it?
1: Yeah. I mean, one has to do with um the first one has to do with my family and uh the generational uh effects of my faith on them and um, spending eternity with generations of Cliffords uh, moving forward that that come to know Christ and love Him. Um, one has to do with my marriage and the kind of husband that I am, and I, I've got some things around that. One has to do with my vocation um, and my relationship to Jesus's Church, and then one has to do with my kind of my how I how I work, that I do all of it with joy, cooperating with my gifts and stay faithful to the end. So that's not exactly what it says. I'm not going to share that, but. Um, it's just about family. It's about my marriage. It's about my, uh, and my, my job and my commitment to it. And then um, how I want to, the demeanor I want to do it with in terms of faithfulness and joy um, and humility and being, you know, making it through the end. It's kind of all the things. And that's, if I, if, if I die and you'll, and you stand in front of a group of people and say, you know, Steve was, Um, you know, faithful as a father and a husband and he was a a father and a grandfather and and maybe even great grandfather by the time I die. And uh, Steve was um, loved one woman. Well, um, her whole life. And I was faithful to the church and not just Westgate, but just the by church. I mean, the mission of Jesus. Yeah. um, In the world. And if I did that by God's grace with joy and was faithful to the to steward to the end, man, if you can say those four things about me, I, I can't imagine can't imagine being any happier. I I I would I would think that um Jesus would look at, into me and it, certainly he would say, Man, he had a couple of times there where I just <laughs> I just needed to hit you around a little bit to get your attention, but I think he would say, well done.
0: Well, that's, it's interesting. You, you, you got that list. I said a thousand, you got it down to four. Uh, How did you do that? Uh, Was it just times of prayer? Was it, because there's other things that probably when you're in your 20s were on there that have been cut away, have been pruned off by God's grace, right? That he kind of let you say, Hey, that's not, that's not important, Steve. This is important. There's got to be things that were cut away, pruned. Well,
1: I didn't. I didn't make the list until I was about forty. Okay. I I remember uh, reading a verse, and it just it just smacked me, where it, it says, um, "For the joy that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, uh, scorning a shame, and sat down at the right hand of God." And it, and I started thinking about when he was going through his toughest moment, what he was looking towards was what he eventually wanted. He wasn't thinking about the cross and the Roman soldiers necessarily hammering the spikes into his arms or his wrists. He was thinking, he was for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And I thought, um, and then I was out on a bike ride one time and I was asking for things as I was praying that was really silly. I just was asking for silly stuff, new cars, bigger houses larger church just stupid stuff and and God said you ask for such little things hmm. i remember him saying to me and not in an audible voice but just impressing upon me you're you ask for such little things what is it that you really want what do you really really want and i probably started out with about 6 or 8 6 or 8 things and then this, through the years it's it's um shrunk a little it's shrunk a little bit, and um, for the last for the last twenty, three or four years, I've, these four things have been in, in front of me. Yeah, in every journal that I that I, I, yeah. I keep.
0: Well, I think the first key to that that uh, and again, I don't mean to keep talking about math because who wants to talk about fractions? But really, it's the bottom number. If we can get that number and really be honest with God and do some work with God. Yeah there are things that we think we want, which are false promises. And we talked about this with work and with money, right? Yeah. Um, Which is why Sabbath is so important. But there's something else that I thought about with that equation. The things that I have is the top number, right? And I started realizing that I often miss or take for granted or gloss over the very things that God has given me. Mm. And so a, a purpose time of gratitude, like really intentional and specific and sincere gratitude reminds me that my top number is far greater than anything that, that I might, i that I tend to remember, you know? yeah. Um, yeah. There was a moment uh, a number of years ago, my kids were like three and five and we were having like this, uh, all of our youth uh, workers, I was a youth pastor and we had all of our adult youth workers coming over for dinner and and my kid and we had to clean the house and I was Nicole and I were cooking in the kitchen and I told the kids to put away other toys. And, you know, I, all of a sudden the doorbell ring rings and it's my two friends who are our leaders and it's Jeremy and Karen and they're over. And, uh, I go in the living room and my kids have decided to take out every single toy they've ever owned or played with ever. And it's all in the living room. It's completely destroyed. I'm like, what is happening? And I was like, put away your toys. Hurry up, hurry up. We are, are there at the front door. And I open up the door and I feel stupid. And it's like cl- cluttered now. And I'm like, kids, put it away, put it away, put it away. And Jeremy and Karen come in and uh, they kind of look at me and I'm like, I'm so sorry about the mess and the clutter. The kids are cleaning it up. Well, be just a second. And Karen kind of leans into her husband and they get this look on their face and she's like, Oh man. And then I realized it's been like five years since they've been trying to have kids. And Jeremy says, man, we we die for clutter, man. Do you know how much we would give for clutter right now? And later on, Jeremy and Karen would eventually, they'd eventually have twins (laughs) and they did have a lot of clutter. But I remember in that moment, it was like, what was an annoyance to me? would have been the greatest gift in their life, you know? And it just reminded me uh, of how often I take things for granted. So I think there's also that side of it is the intentional gratitude. And if we can get down what we actually have, and, and I think, you know, we overlook that kind of stuff. If we really reflect with, with, with Jesus and the Spirit's help, what all that Jesus and God have given us, um, all the things that the, that we have, and then also get that number down for what we want, yeah. it can really up our 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 contentment quotient, you know?
1: Yeah, I cl- I closed my sermon over at the Toga campus and just with a challenge that um, people would stop would start saying thank you ten times a day, mm. say thank you at least ten times a day. Yeah, and um, maybe we can wrap it up with this. My life verse is Psalm sixteen six, where it says the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. God has been. There's certainly things in my life I would change, and I wish I could. You know, change and take back or something, but God has been so gracious, and um, and took a skinny redheaded kid out of the government projects, out of a single parent home that was destined for joy for for jail or or for death, an early death, and He rescued me. He rescued me out of that, and and called me as His own, and and. And the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places.
0: Man, that's great. Well, thank you. And I'll say it at least twice. Thank you for being here, Steve. Thanks for sharing that wisdom. And, uh, <laughs> and thank you. I'm super grateful, not just for this podcast, obviously, Steve, but for everything uh, that you've shown and taught all of us on staff in your years of leadership. And I know a lot of other people feel the same way. So thank you for that. And uh, and just thanks for helping us learn a little bit more and think a little bit more about what it means to truly be content uh, with, with Jesus' help. Thanks for your time, Steve. Yep, glad to be with you, man. All right, talk to you soon. Just want to say thanks to Steve Clifford for stopping by, not only for stopping by, but sharing his wisdom. I think that's the third time I said thanks in this podcast, so I'm like three for 10. I'd encourage you to continue on in your generosity and gratitude journey and say thank you 10 times. So there it is. Uh, I've said three. So thank you for joining us. Ha <laughs> four! And uh, we're going to be back next week. We're back in the book of Matthew. I've got Lisa Averill coming in. We're going to talk about an incredible and a beautiful and a powerful story in the book of Matthew where Jesus confronts a bleeding woman and, and then a, a guy whose daughter is dying. And uh, it's just an incredible story. So join us for that. It's going to be Mother's Day. So we're excited about that. And uh, join us next week. And with that, we'll see you next week.